Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. Can you take me back a little bit to last episode? And and I'm just trying to because I know there were some there were some interest there for you, and there were some questions, and then I kind of get all got all ramped up and. The whole idea of postmodernism, but I I just think that there's something there that we can we can latch on to. Can we can we walk through just five minutes of last episode? Like talk it through? I can't remember that much of it. I I think where I ended up and maybe what sparked things for you was on eighty eight where they start talking about sacredness is common to craftsmanship and then they get into where meaning comes from. And mm. Oh, and I think I was raising mm-hmm. the idea, and, or maybe it's further on, but but I was kind of raising the idea of well, doesn't isn't the idea of postmodernism that there is no inherent meaning? There's just whatever meaning you bring to the situation or to the object. This is kind of a tangent, but while we're talking about postmodernism. Earlier in my life, there was someone who was very, who spent a lot of time studying it and shared a lot of these things about their own understanding of postmodernism with me. I remember him going on and on about how, you know, postmodernism contends that there is no meaning in anything and that it's the, or in other words, this idea that, that, that things themselves don't have inherent meaning. It's whatever meaning you bring to the situation. And which, mm. of course, was this this kind of poke at relativism and and the idea that postmodernism was just this bankrupt way of looking at the world because, you know, it all comes down to whatever you bring to the situation. That there can't be any ultimate truth because it's just whatever 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 meaning you see is there, that's the meaning that's there. And it can be different for everyone. So it was it was this it was kind of a disparaging negative um commentary on culture and and mm. and there was nothing positive about it so i was simply i think reading this one section on on 89 where oh yeah where they're talking where the 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 craftsman is discerning meaning that's already there versus bringing the meaning themselves mm-hmm. bringing the meaning to it themselves so th- th- that's about the depth of my understanding of postmodernism. Yeah. Well, I mean, what you said there is kind of interesting. And I guess I would kind of chime in with this whole thing about, well, how, how do you feel about these, some of these modern notions? What do you think about universal reason? You know, one of the things that I, that I uh, wrote in there is that universal reason is this idea that um, somebody says, well, this is a reasonable perspective. And if, and if you don't agree, you're simply just not being reasonable. Because reason is accessible to everybody and we all have the same faculties. I mean, you're obviously not, you don't have a mental deficiency. You can figure this out if you don't think like I do. And, and that's part of the whole modernist perspective, right? And that we see that in churches all the time. But that's a philosophical orientation. It's not a theological orientation. And we've bought into it. it it's kind of been bred into our brains. We've inherited it from this modernist period. And it creates scenarios where, I mean, I think that, that some of this thinking has been involved in all, I would go so far as to say, 
all of the examples that our listeners have told us of their negative church experiences, I think that these kind of modernist tendencies, particularly this idea of universal reason, has been at one of the items at the core of each of these scenarios. Whether it's Anna, whether it's Evan, um, I'm losing track of the other names. <laughs> it's been a long time well, since we've Well, we only have three listeners. So I think you've got almost all of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, the woman from England, you know, I can't remember her name. Nah, um, slips on my too, yeah. Yeah, so... So I guess I guess yeah it's it's the rub there is that, that there are certain of these components of modernist thinking that um I think cause a lot of damage and a lot of pain to a lot of people and very few people like the only only the powerful benefit you know only the person who can somehow claim to be at the top of the hill and say this is what is reasonable I am dictating what's reasonable but of course from their perspective they're not dictating it they're simply uh, stating it and everybody should see it and we should all see it that way because un- reason is universally available if you're a reasonable person and you use your, your reason correctly you will all come to the same conclusions and so because you're not coming to the same conclusion you're not playing the game right, right? so go back or, or you're an idiot or, or you're an idiot right but most times most times they won't you know and it's not just that they're being nice but but the, 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 it doesn't help them to claim that you're an idiot because if you're an idiot, then they're lost, right? They can't push this agenda because you're an idiot who God knows what you'll do, right? If you had a mental deficiency, if you had an automobile accident, if you were developmentally handicapped, then you could make all sorts of strange decisions and we wouldn't be able to do much with you. We'd just try to have to control you more forcibly than, than say by applying this notion to you and saying, this is what is reasonable. You agree, don't you? So go backwards. So this, where does this come from? Like which, so you have a paper here that, just a little bit of a write-up that you did on some different perspectives. So where does this, this one is resonating with me. So back up a little bit and can you say like what it is and then like where it came from or who? Sure. Well, if we go back to Descartes, Right, Descartes had this idea that we all had the same ability to be reasonable, and that if we f- we used a math uh, the same sort of math model that we have in mathematics when it comes to dealing with other areas of life, that we would all come to the right understandings, and that those understandings would be the same understandings, and they'd be the same because reason is universal. It's universal reason. We all can access it. All we have to do is first of all get rid of some of these preconceptions. And then follow the right method. So don't start with crazy ideas. Get rid of all those crazy ideas and then go about things the right way. And because you've all got the same brain and you're all, you know, equally capable, you know, it doesn't, some people are smarter than others, let's say. But for Descartes, the idea was you're all able to do this. You've just learned bad habits and you haven't learned proper discipline. So first of all, bye-bye bad habits. Get rid of those. If you can't, if it's not clear and distinct, if it's not indubitable, and these are some of his catchphrases, then don't believe it, right? Don't, don't believe superstitions. Don't believe things on hearsay. Don't believe things without proper evidence. That's number one. And then the second one is having a proper method. So part of that method is being neutrally disposed to things, right? Not being, um, 
you know, taking a neutral perspective. And of course, a lot of these things are exactly the perspectives that have come under fire, you know, um, say, I don't know, through the 60s, 70s, 80s, increasingly, right, up to the present. So all of this sort of thinking through the Enlightenment period, which has, you know, from our last episode has kind of been pointed at as what has emancipated people. It's been a lot about liberty. It's been a lot about think for yourself. And so I think that fellow who was in deep work was saying... Cal Newport. Yeah, Newport, the bottom of page 86, writes, from Descartes' skepticism came the radical belief that the individual seeking certainty trumped a god or king bestowing truth. So it was a lot about you and me. On the one hand being able to understand on the other hand taking responsibility for ourselves so i think you've, i think you've landed on something really 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 big what is it, this it's, well no and this is funny because i'm i chopped off the first part of this episode because greg and i were kind of <laughs> we we're kind of like what are we talking about today and how does this make any sense and then we just ended up here so no so this idea that that all reasonable people all reasonable people can agree Mm. has has seriously tripped me up mm-hmm. in fact i think it may have it may have touched on some other things that we were chatting on weeks ago that never really dealt with and this is what it is it's i was kind of raised with this kind of understanding that you know yeah all reasonable people can agree on the same thing if if you're quote you know the right reasonable person <laughs> If you have the right reasonable perspective, and of course, you know, our our brand of Christianity has it. We've right. got it, and it's 100% right. Sadly, those other sad people out there, you know, they've got three quarters to half to some people, barely any at all. And, you know, it's really sad that they don't have it, and, you know, hopefully, like, we can help them see it, or they'll get it. Hmm. But we have the right reasonable way to see it. Well, then introduce the real world. <laughs> I go to work with some really nice, reasonable people that think that Christianity's a joke. Mm-hmm. I work with some really nice, reasonable people that are immoral. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I work with some really nice, reasonable people that get totally trashed on the weekends. Mm. Now what do I do? Yeah. These are nice like like all of a sudden this thing starts to fall apart because well if if it's all reasonable and you can just kind of like put it all together then how is it that these other people have put it all together and it doesn't include God in the right way that this other view was supposedly the right view. Now what do I do? Yeah. And this still yeah. and I would say still to this day some of this kind of troubles me and sometimes kind of like okay what do i do with this so a recent example was i came across something somewhere oh i came across a genre of podcasts that are all about people that have bailed on christianity like completely just thrown it away yeah and some have not really thrown it away hostily they've just kind of been like well uh doesn't really work for me anymore and i found something better and mm-hmm. they're all different degrees of this, but there are, there's a whole genre of podcasts out there. So in flipping through one of these, I came across um, Campolo caught my eye because we've talked about Tony Campolo before and my mm-hmm. experiences and feelings about him. Well, his son Bart is 
no long his son Bart, I guess, was fairly active in Tony's ministry and part of his organization. Uh, and huh. so Bart has come to a position where he's no longer a Christian. He's the chaplain. He's a chaplain or the chaplain at USC. He's a humanist chaplain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, is just kind of like, yeah, I've just moved on. I was like, okay, well, quote, another reasonable perspective. Like, you know, he has, quote, a reasonable perspective about his beliefs and everything. And he used to be a very fervent Christian and now he's not. And, okay, well, what about you, Greg? I mean, you're, you have very reasonable beliefs and you're very fervent. Like, okay, well, now, like, who's right here? Yeah. What do we do now? And so, yeah, I still find that, that sometimes this stuff just kind of, gets at me and it's like well why is that and i think part of me is afraid of like well well maybe the little bit that i have held on to and haven't let go of yet maybe i really need to and then where would that take me and you know <laughs> that opens up all kinds of scary places well yeah i mean that's huge right although i think you know you're my friend and you're my podcast partner but i, I do legitimately think you've you've made a, a from what i know of it, <laughs> it seems like you've made a pretty good uh you know, you've navigated that road pretty well, you know, and just as a side comment or maybe not a side, but directly addressing that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, this idea that if we have this notion that reason is universal and if we have the belief that someone who is using their reason well will come to the same conclusion that I do and that if they don't, that they're not being reasonable, they're not or they're actually not being trying. In, or they're not being intellectually honest. That was another yeah. that was another huge one. Oh yeah. yeah, these they're hiding. These these people that are just, you know, you know, atheists and and just, you know, really down on Christianity, they just have an axe to grind or, you know, they're just intellectually dishonest. But if they were intellectually honest, then 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 they would realize that Christianity is true. Yeah, and I think that, that that's that's just utter hogwash. You know, we we did that episode number one hundred three, and we talked a little bit about um, Myron Penner's "The End of Apologetics," that book. And I mentioned that you know we also rec- talked about uh, on that article. I always forget that woman's name who wrote the article about you know tr- going through high school with the attitude that she had to defend the faith, and not realizing on the one hand that for most people they don't. Christianity is not something they're interested in. They're not threatened by it. They just think it's irrelevant. They don't care about it at all. So you're, you're in this defensive posture. They couldn't care less about your beliefs. And you end up losing out on a whole lot of relationship and relating that you might have had. And maybe conversations that would have been beneficial for you and for them. But, yeah, I think, um, I think this notion is, is part, it's, it's so deeply entrenched in so much of the church, this idea that, yeah, if you're not coming to the same conclusions we are, then, um, you know, you, you're, you're just kind of, uh, you're holding out this with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit wants to change you. And these are reasonable ideas and, and, and the way we've presented this and the way we've understood it is correct. And so if this is all truth, and the only thing getting in the way is, is you. you. Like, yep, it's you. It's your problem. And, and you know, but I think the, the, the saying that only works until you have two Christians from different perspectives who start talking. 
And then you realize, oh, really? Like these two guys don't see it the same way. Or maybe you put two people, like this is the thing that I find to be so fascinating is I think so many churches um, to a greater or lesser extent turn on the fact that there really isn't very much discussion at all of what people actually believe. Because if you knew how differently someone believed than you, who you go to church with all the time, how might that impact your relationship? What might you do with that? Right? How uncomfortable might you feel? Do you see what that was, in this discussion group you're doing at your church? Um, well, you know, this comes back to some of our discussions that we were going to do earlier about this good and beautiful God and this thing about narrative and people's narratives about God. And I think what I'm seeing more and more, and we've talked about this a little bit, is that people have very, very limited and abridged understandings about the biblical story. Jesus came to die for my sins. And again, of course, you know, I, I, don't, I don't agree with that. Well, I Jesus. think you need to be clear this time, though, because you left oh. it dangling, in a, pre- <laughs> you left it dangling in a previous episode, and I'm surprised we haven't gotten any hate mail. Because I, <laughs> well, I pushed you on that another episode, and you're like, okay, that's not the full reason he came, but that is part of it. Right? Well, it's part of it, but I think I think it's this gr- this bigger notion of the kingdom of God, and this includes so many things, right? So, saving me from my sins, what is that really? Well, that's that's forgiveness of sins, and again, this is a Hebrew story. This is a Judean Israelite story. God came. You will call him Jesus because he will save his people from from their sins. I am not his people. I am not Jewish. There's nothing Jewish about me. I'm sure you could go back as far as you liked, and I don't know where you'd get to, but you wouldn't get to somebody Jewish, I don't think. Yeah, but don't we get grandfathered in? We do get grandfathered in, but the context of the story is still different than making it all about me. There's this huge need that I see in the evangelical church to decentralize us as individuals because we have taken over, and our desire to be to be important and central— actually ends up constraining the story. It focuses so much on this whole piece about salvation. It terms, it terms what is admittedly the high point, the crescendo of the plot into this, this, this little tight soundbite. It's more like a knock-knock joke than a real story. And I'm not saying it's a joke, but I'm saying in the sense of it's just so compact. It's not meant to be like that. Okay, I've taken if, us if, off track. No, well, I'm I'm going there. <laughs> so back to your church. I'm going there. But anyways, I, I just think that this this these understandings are not part of the biblical perspective. And so you might say, well, let's have a, a Christian philosophy. And I don't really think you have one. I don't really think you can have one. I think there are there are some very basic understandings about who and what God is. So who, in terms of God's uh, character, what in terms of God's characteristics, who in terms of God's character, and who and what people are, and how the two are to relate. I mean, that's not really a philosophy so much as it is um, maybe a schema, uh, sort of a way of understanding what the biblical text is about. What's it, what's it really focusing on, right? These are kind of like the highlights or the priorities, and I think understanding these priorities helps us read the whole thing correctly. I don't think we should focus solely on these things. I'm not, again, trying to take us back to this kind of really soundbite, knock-knock joke, uh, focus on Jesus came to save me from my sins and somehow completely forgetting 
the whole story with covenant and the whole progress through Israel and the reality of um, the kingdom of God. But I am saying that understanding, seeing it through the proper lens, I think will give the whole thing its proper contour. And that will allow the the power and the subtlety of the story, um, the beauty and some of the, yeah, maybe even the terror of it at, at parts to be brought out and to impact us, I think, in the right way. But I think when we keep some of these notions, these philosophical notions without examining them, we're bound by them. You know, and I think what happens is that in the 60s, 70s, 80s particularly, we have folks like we have Derrida, Jacques Derrida, we have um, Michel Foucault, we have Jean-François Lyotard. And some of these, particularly these, these French thinkers, are extremely helpful um, because I think they offer us insights that are essential for us to live life more honestly and therefore more fully and more truthfully because they're pushing back against some of these older ideas. Now, do their, do their views all reconcile with each other or are they at odds? I think they would emphasize different, they certainly emphasize different things. I don't know that they're, I don't know that I would see them, I'm sure you could see them on an academic level as being at odds in certain areas, but for the most part in broad strokes, they're, they're fairly, um, they're very complementary, like bringing them, bringing them all together. And I'm using those three. I, I do think um, that Jamie Smith's Who's Afraid of Postmodernism is a really good, handy, accessible book. And so, um, I think these three are, are a good choice for um, demonstrating sort of what um, some postmodern perspectives and why they're valuable and valuable for Christians particularly. You know, so you've got someone like uh, Derrida who is basically saying interpret. there's no way around interpretation. Context is, is essential, right? The only way we understand anything is by interpreting. We are always already interpreting. And nothing is without context. And with, we understand things only through context. So I think once we've got that, then we lose some of these terrible notions within Christianity like, you know, I just read what's there. I read the Bible and I just read what's there. Well, of course you don't. And you don't do that when you uh, have an exchange with a friend or you nearly have a car accident or you're planning a marriage or any of these other things. There's always interpretation that's going on whether you're aware of it or not. And part of what this helps us do as Christians, I think, and I, I, I would say as human beings, really, first of all, as human beings, those who seek to be honest and to be um, best relating with their world is it helps us to assess, well, what, what are some of the kind of uh, preconditions and uh, uh, preconceptions that we have that go into all of this interpreting? Right? What are my guides? What are my what are the things that I take for granted and assume? So that's that's one example, right? But I think he pushes back against some of this idea that I can access things directly, right? Which Descartes would definitely say. You know, you can you can access the truth of the matter as it is. And Derrida would come up and say, Well, naturally you have different perspectives on this. Because there's some interpretation here. So I'd like to go back eventually to this whole thing about you know, being reasonable and what do you do when several different people are reasonable but at odds with each other. But before mm-hmm. that, so, but still go back to this thing with your church discussion group in terms of what you're finding there or maybe what you're learning. Well, I, I guess the biggest thing that I'm, 
I don't know if I'm learning it, but I'm, I'm in the sense that I didn't know it before, but I'm experiencing it and I'm trying, I'm, I'm in the position of having to respond. And this is, this is tricky is that, uh, people are unaccustomed to discussing what they believe and more so why they believe it and how it might be a good idea to assess that belief. Those last two are not pretty much not even on the map, right? Why they believe it, some people will, will offer you some of that. But I think for the most part, you know, I've had a discussion with a fellow just the other day and we were talking about uh, some prominent people in the 20th century in North America who uh, uh, purported to or there are claims of uh, them healing other people. And, and I, 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 you know, we were, we were in this conversation and this fellow was sort of just putting this out there like it was fact. And I said, you know, it's interesting. I've, I've never heard of this before. And I would have thought that if these things were happening and could be documented and you have, you know, someone breaks a whatever, or they've got bolts in their leg and they get healed and they don't have bolts in their leg anymore, you could document that. And I think that would be quite dramatic and, 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 you know, something that I would be interested. Maybe I wouldn't focus on it as a way of leading into a conversation with someone who's not a Christian about, you know, why I might see Christianity to be true, but it might figure somewhere in that conversation. And it was interesting to me that this person's perspective was, was, well, you, you don't really need that. And I just thought, how on earth can I, can I deal with the fact that these, you know, who, who's going to believe me, right? How, how can I gain credibility if I can't document some of these things? And so I think though that's, I'm not sure how much that answers your question, but. Um, now repeat those, those, spell out those three things again. I thought that was interesting. Well, there's what you believe. And then there's why. Why. And then, and then how you might go about assessing whether you know, other, other perspectives and even, well, assess for me why you think your belief is valid. So I believe that Jesus is the son of God. Why do you believe that? Well, I believe that because it says, it so, says, in the that, Bible. says so in the Bible and um, because I've been a Christian for 10 years and I've found that my life is better. Okay. Well, then how might you go about assessing just how valid some of these First of all, how valid is this biblical claim and how valid is the, your, your, your assessment of your own experience? And then what other components might go into you? What might happen if somebody raises another perspective and how would you evaluate that? And so well, those pieces are really, yeah. Well, I always feel like that's a little slippery because it's like at a certain point you have to stop or it just gets kind of ridiculous, doesn't it? Stop what you mean? Well, assess yeah, the assessment. I mean, how do I know that I really even exist and that I'm not an experiment in somebody's laboratory? You know, like all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but I mean, I think we run the risk of of getting into the, the, the of extrapolating far beyond, you know, of exaggerating the situation. So yes, I think there's a point at which people need to stop, and and you know, I don't need to be worried about my. You know, am I, does my entire world exist as this little piece of dust on, on, a, on some huge animal in some other world and they're going to shake it off and squash it? And should I be really anxious about that coming up and my entire existence will be blotted out? And 
Like, I think that's just, it's, it's at least crazy making, if not crazy in and of itself to be thinking like that. I just don't think that there's any merit to it. But, but I, I do think that for the most part, most people haven't taken too much time. You know, like it's, it's almost like in, in marriage and divorce situations, because this is what I'm working in. Um, most people haven't taken too much time trying to make things better. They've taken too little time. So don't kill yourself trying to make things better. Don't kill yourself going to counseling and saying, you know what, we'll just go to enough counseling and it'll work. Well, you might get yourself 15 years down the road and find out that it's not working. And there could be a variety of reasons for that. But I guess the point I'm getting at is most people, most of the time, have done too little work to assess their beliefs. But yet, now I'm intrigued, though. This whole, most people have not done enough work. I don't think so. You think, I mean, well, so in your experience, people just give up without trying or they're just like it's not worth trying oh well i guess my experience is most people i mean if you ask most people when they became christians they became christians sometime between the age of zero and 20 and then you've got a small minority that will say something between 20 and 25 like when they're at university or some sort of post you know some sort of post-secondary and then some remarkably small number of people will as post as after 25 tell you that they became Christians for some reason or another. So I don't think that most of these people, if you become a Christian when you're 12 or 15, you've got the mind and the focus and the habits and practices of a 12 or 15 year old. Is that enough? I I think it's enough to, if you like, become a Christian but I don't think that at that point in my life, I know at least I didn't have the ability to assess things the way that I did when I was 20, certainly when I was 30, certainly now that I'm in my 40s. And I just think that most people stick with what they had because it's good enough. And it's, it's all, it's, they don't even have a conception that there's more than that. So it's not like when you say the, the group that I'm with, I think for the most part, most of those people, most of the time, they came into Christianity through their church experience. They became Christians very young and they have simply accepted what they've been taught and given and that's what it is. But it's a daunting, I mean, thinking about that, because sometimes I do, it's a, <laughs> it, no, it's a daunting task. In other words, the given the choice between well, I'll just kind of trust that, you know, my family, you know, they seem like reasonable people. They seem like they have their heads screwed on straight. So I'll just kind of, you know, place some reliance on the fact that this goes back a number of generations. So they probably, hopefully got it right. Like in some ways, kind of leveraging that is a lot easier than like, well, let me just go investigate like every single religion in the world. Oh, yeah, it is, you know, and I've got to say for myself, I know far too little about certain religions. I think I know enough to know that I would not go down those trails. I know enough about Buddhism. I know enough about Islam. I think I know enough about Hinduism. Yeah, Hinduism. But but even even the validity of, of your own belief and what's entailed, you know, so... If you're only ever reading the Bible to confirm what you already know, you are misreading the Bible. That is not what it is there for. Right? I go in there and I've, I've got another couple of books coming in. I'm so excited about them. 
one of them was on this miracles thing because I had a chat with this fellow and one of his comments was, you don't need a book for that. And I just thought, how on earth can you legitimate these things? <laughs> You're like, yes, I do. Right? <laughs> Unless you've been there and you've seen the x-rays and you've talked to the people and you've done it, in which case you should be writing the book. But I've got some books coming in. I've got some stuff coming in and it, it's just, it's exciting. You know, I think that's part of the mentality that we need to as Christians begin to cultivate and encourage within each other that there is a degree of excitement and, and what should be interest and sharing. And we need to avoid any sort of, uh, I think, extremely false viewpoint that would say that should you, in the course of trying to investigate and understand what you believe more, should you be discouraged? Should you be become doubtful? Should you become dubious, in fact, about the validity of your belief, that that is, that is a terrible thing. And that is, that is, I hear that so often in so many conservative churches about, you know, children or, um, you know, later teens and, and early adults going off to university and praying for them that they don't get turned away. And I just think the very fact that you're praying like this is the fact that you have not raised your children right. You have not done what it takes in this church to be preparing people to use their brains to engage with the world around them, and specifically to have already begun the process of critically evaluating their own beliefs. Because if they're doing that, then all these things you're praying for, you don't have to worry about. You know, not, not in the sense that somebody might never change their mind, but in the sense that there's always going to be a degree, a high degree, a sufficiently high degree of integrity, of thoughtfulness, and of pre-existing skill and of some of the volitions to go and say, hey, you know what? I'm getting a whole bunch of information. This contradicts my beliefs. I'm going to go get some second opinions. Hmm. There is no, there's no freaking way to do that in the churches now. A second opinion means you're, you're doubting somebody's authority and you get scolded. I mean, if that's your reality, I would say get out of that church now. Or it's dangerous because like, I mean, I can, I can hear some people saying, well, you know, Bart Campolo was just kind of hanging around the wrong people for enough time. And, you know, enough of those, you know, ideas got in his bloodstream. And so he just ended up packing it in. Well, yeah, but uh, <laughs> you and I spent time at Labrie, John. I mean, those ideas got into Schaefer. Schaefer left his, Francis Schaefer left his mission board. And this whole idea of Christian humanism is, is not... It, 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 is a part of, or one way of framing some of what, what Schaefer is about, you know, and starting from, from real life experience. I mean, and that's something that I've found to be absolutely transformative, probably not in Schaefer's way, but nevertheless, I could, I think I could relate quite well with, um, this idea of, you know, humanism, uh, having a lot of currency, having a lot of value. I don't, I'd have to read some of his stuff and figure out where he's at. But So going back to this idea of the, the reasonableness thing. So yeah. how, do you, how do we reconcile, how do you reconcile this? Because it feels, it, I think sometimes, well, for me it feels frustrating and sometimes it also feels like a trap. So <laughs> what's, what's your prescription for getting out of the trap or approaching it a different way? Well, I think expectations are really important. You know, so if you expect, and if you come from a church tradition that expects that people will adhere to this viewpoint and that they will toe this line, and if they don't, they're either as Christians being unreasonable or as non-Christians being sinful, or maybe Christians, or maybe a blend of both for both parties. 
but that there is something wrong with them, then I think we have a, we have a misconception and a false expectation, right? So I think these are, a lot of this is case by case. And, and, and again, a lot of this, even when it's tricky, we as human beings do all the time and we do automatically. So we don't even notice that we're doing it, right? And part of the, the focus that I would hope, hope to bring is to bring that reflexive, uh, that, that, that um, instinctive process to the surface, to reflect upon it, to examine it, to look at what's good, to look at why I'm, what my preconceptions are. But as I go about sort of um, whatever it is, you know, whatever, whether it's, it's, it's reading the Bible in a certain way and coming to us, just, just understanding these things in a particular way. I mean, the whole idea about interpretation is huge. So we talked about Derrida and his emphasis on context, his emphasis that there is no uh, uninterpreted reality, and I would say 100%. But we are still living with better interpretations and worse. So instead of uh, universal reason, I would say we have a particular hermeneutic or uh, a lens that we look through. And then when we look through that lens, first of all, I'd like to know what that is. Right? I'd like to be aware and I'd like to choose as much as possible what that is. And then when we look through that, and I might sort of read, uh, I could think of uh, Luke 14, 25 and 26, the, I think it's Lucas, not, not Matthew, right? Where if you don't hate your mother and father, you're not worthy of me. So you might have, uh, I'm just going to look it up now to make sure I've got, I'm citing the right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Luke uh, 14, uh, 26 and 27. Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and child, brother and sister, yes, and even life itself cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So particularly verse 26. I mean, there might be two or three good interpretations of that, but there aren't, you know, 12 or 22. So I think having that type of understanding going into the matter helps us and there might be two or three good ways to respond to, you know, an interaction or a situation. But there probably aren't 40 or 50. So this anything goes or this kind of, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? This relativist perspective. I, I think that's, that's uh, a bit of a red herring in most cases. And then, of course, so we're, we're moving away from either there's just one way or there are any number of ways. And we're finding ourselves in a graded middle and that we, I think, as Christians, particularly when it comes to reading, need to be skilled readers so that we're able to look along that scale and say, you know what, I think these are better options, these two or three. And these other ones, no, I, I wouldn't go there. Because then at least we're spending our time with the right stuff, doing the right job, which is deciding amongst those two or three interpretations, which one seems like it might be the best. And of course, there's a correlating of many different pieces when you're talking about, for example, interpreting part of the Bible, you'd want to interpret this particular text within its context, whether that be the immediate chapter and then the chapters that surround it, and then getting a broader sense of just, you know, who God is. You know, it's, and it's the same thing with this, this idea, there's the verse, I think, in uh, Revelation, you know, be either hot or cold or I'll spit you out of my mouth. And I think we just do some um, ridiculously stupid things with verses like that. 
um, because we, we, we take them without seeing them in their greater context. So it's not about either be committed to me, fully committed to me or, or hate me. It's, it's, it's this oracle to Laodicea and in Laodicea, there are two springs and one was a hot springs and one was a cool springs and they both had beneficial effects, but in different ways. Now that's much more in keeping with who God is. So I could, in other words, this is exactly what I'm getting at. You could read this without thinking about God's character as laid out in other parts of the New Testament in the whole Bible. And you could say, okay, well, maybe this God either wants me to be hot and really on fire for God or cold and really hate God. Okay, maybe that's a good, valid interpretation. Yes, I think so. If you foreclose on all the other aspects in the text about who God is, because I don't see that anywhere else. So somehow I'm getting this, this idea in one single verse of revelation and applying it and understanding it. And I think some of this thinking, in other words, this, this, this inability to um, think more broadly, and I think I, I would wager too also not having been trained by, in our churches, is, is a huge issue. Now, I, how does this come back to a universal reason? Well, maybe there's too much of an independence we place on ourselves and we aren't, um, you know, um, accessing other Christians, accessing who knows what commentaries, accessing other things that can help us. But I think I wandered a bit from your, from your, your question. Yeah, maybe we should pick it up next time. But yeah, I think, it, I, I think I'm thinking of it more in a secular context. So you have, you know, three quote reasonable perspectives on a particular issue or on quote truth or on Christianity mm. and you know all three perspectives are quote reasonable but they uh, contradict each other or they, yeah. they in other words in other words if you I don't have a good example but if you lay them all out on the table they can't all be true it just doesn't work yeah well the other thing that comes along with that whole idea of the universality of reason is 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 the is the priority of reason so it obviously what's that mean well, they don't all work together, but, but we're not just, you know, little computers that, that go from one computing task to another. You know, I have my senses. In addition to my rationality, my thought, I have my senses. I have my experience. I have my imagination, my will, um, uh, particular visions of what sort of the good is and what truth is and all of these other things. And so I think when we're judging some of these perspectives, like if you wanted to judge between various religions, I mean, we're always, I hope, as human beings, incorporating our whole selves in that process. It's not just some sort of rational endeavor that we kind of, you know, mathematically add up whatever seems to have the most points and then say, well, that, that's the one that wins. Like, you know, how I feel about something matters. It doesn't matter to the exclusion of, of, of the other pieces, but it, it it also cannot be excluded by those other things. And similarly, my past experiences in this realm. So when I've, when I've tried this before, it's fallen flat. So we can talk about, you know, Christianity makes certain claims about being related to real life. And yet when you try to, I don't know, live the Christian life in particular ways, it's very dissatisfying or it's, it's, it causes other people to think that you're an idiot or you're a nut well, maybe that should be telling you something, right? Um, but if we don't think that our experience has any way of giving something back to us, from a Christian perspective, we might say, I'm living as I should be. I'm witnessing to people. People aren't responsive. Therefore, 
um, it's just sin in their lives. Whereas if I was to take this input in a different manner and think that um, I don't have to filter everything I do through biblical texts, right? So if I get bad input, I'm going to look to the Bible. Well, why did I get bad input? Oh, because there's sin in that person's life. Well, if I don't approach it that way, I might say to myself, gee, I was a bit of a butthead there. No wonder that person pushed me off. They probably would have pushed me off if I was selling Amway or if I was selling something they really wanted as opposed to trying to, you know, promote Christianity. So I don't know if that... Gets a little closer. How would you wrap this one up? (laughs) All right, do we leave it dangling? I don't know, but I I want to... I do want to hear more from you about this kind of universal reason or the whole reasonableness piece. It seems to have... Yeah. Okay. I'm interested. All right, we'll see what happens next. All righty. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Untangling Christianity podcast. A summary and resources for this episode are at our website, untanglingchristianity.com. If you'd like to join our private Facebook group or reach us by email, send your requests, questions, or even a simple hello to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is provided by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license.